He had the smallest ankles I've seen on a college basketball player since Chris Boucher. <laughs> I was going to say Chris Boucher. <laughs> crazy. Hey, do, a, uh, do a side-by-side with those two. It's crazy. That's uh, that's NBA Toronto Raptor legend Chris Boucher. I'm saying you, no, no, small ankles, the better you for you. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's strange. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. This Oregon team has an opportunity to bounce back uh, at Wazoo at, on Sunday at 4 p.m. That, that It's a must. I mean, every game for the rest of the season now for this Oregon team is a must-win game if you still have tournament aspirations because there is an opportunity for them to fight back in just from a pure, pure bracketology perspective, but they need some help. Welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 142 here in beautiful Chopper Base. The Avateria producers are out there sleeping with Miga on the couch, hanging out, watching some Modern Family, I believe, was the uh, TV du jour this morning. So family, family, little family, family time. Uh, he's a Oregon graduate alum. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, good, good. I've never watched the show before. It's pretty funny. And it's definitely, it's uh, I love Ed O'Neill. Like Ed O'Neill just like reminds me of my childhood, like watching, uh, oh, what, what the hell was it? Um, Married with Children? Married with Children, yep. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely a classic. All right, we're a little off the rails already today. That might just be kind of how the podcast goes today. I kind of have a feeling we're just going to be jumping all over the place and really just talking about whatever the heck we want to talk about. But if you'd like to actually hear us talk about every single topic and get every single episode, you're going to want to make sure to go find us at The Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms. Please jump on the Apple iTunes store, jump on Spotify, smash that subscribe button, give us the five-star ratings. Also, leave us a nice comment with that five-star rating, and we will read it here on the podcast. Also, please go find us on all of your major social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at The Flock Pod. Make sure you're following. Make sure you're retweeting. Make sure you're liking. Make sure you're commenting, engaging with all of that content, especially on Twitter. Shane has just been busting out all the content on Twitter, so make sure to jump on there and give him some love. And I am, of course, joined by my podcaster in crime over here, Mr. Bartender Shane. Shane, tell them where you are. You can find me, like you just said, at Bartender Shane 6 on Twitter and at Waka Flocka Shane 6 on Instagram. Where none yeah, and I, I salvaged me. that. Yeah, I salvaged that until like the very end. Like I was, I was kind of thrown <laughs> off with intro. And then there at the very end, it was like, wait, what do I, how do I do this? How do I throw it to Shane? What do I do? And you had, of course, Justin, me. <laughs> Justin's been in Vegas for a week. We just Man. discussed as a, yeah, his brain is scrambled. So things make it today. Still a little Vegas brain, still a little Vegas brain. I've just had cotton mouth since I got back, man. I don't know what to say. It's just I can't get hydrated. I cannot get hydrated. 
But yeah, so we'll just jump into it. Yeah, Vegas was great. Uh, really, really good time. Uh, got to see my pops, Papa Duck. Had some fun hanging out with Papa Duck. Went and saw the Hoover Dam. Uh, did a little gambling. You know, Shane, I have this weird thing where I've been very, very fortunate in Vegas. I'm not going to use the L word, but I'm just going to say I've been very, very fortunate in Vegas. And so I think it was like Tuesday night, about 2 a.m. Couldn't sleep. Just sitting in the hotel room at the Rio. Just couldn't sleep. Hadn't even really gambled that much yet. Uh, no, this was Wednesday night because this was after we got back from the Hoover Dam. So I go down, just kind of walking around and I see this craps table. And there's just one guy shooting, just hanging out. Only guy there. And he's doing all right. But as soon as I kind of walk up and, you know, kind of start poking my head around, he decides to go. And I go up and I kind of cozy up next to this guy named Gil. Good old Gil from the Rio Casino. Shout out, Gil. Gil took great care of me, Shane. I don't know craps all that well, but I was the only person at the table. And we rolled for about an hour, about an hour, 15 minutes. And we walked away from that table about $1,200 richer. So we had a start to the trip right there. And this is something I've done in Vegas consistently. Like my second or third trip, I won almost four grand playing craps, like my second night there. So I am very lucky and very grateful to still report from a gambling perspective we're still ahead on Vegas, but I whisper that. I just, I just whisper that because it's such a tenuous, tenuous thing. Um, this put in the negative from a, a overall spending perspective because we, we, we went big for this one. It was a great time. Went and saw the Neon Museum. Went to Hoover Dam. Did a bunch of other really. Went to the Knights of uh, the Excalibur Tournament of Knights show, which was a really good time. Wow. So yeah, Vegas was great, excellent. When was the last time you were in Vegas, man? Uh, I was 22 years old, so 10 years ago. Oh, we got to we got to we got to do a flock pod Vegas trip. We need to go down there for like a Pac-12 tournament game or something like that, or a championship game. That'd be a great time. Yeah, Pac-12 <laughs> tournament would be fun. We got that coming up pretty soon too. Maybe next. Maybe next I was gonna year. say maybe you next just year. Got back. Yeah, 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 maybe next year. I, I don't think I can do the quick turnaround <laughs> this year. Again, still getting healthy, but uh, and of course we have lots of news to cover today. Let's just kind of hit on a few things here. We've got a new offensive. Uh, we've got a new offensive line assistant, new offensive line coach there for the University of Oregon. We've got some updates in the Peyton Bowen saga. Um, very very interesting update. Uh, it'll never course, end it'll never end it, it's the it's the it's the story that keeps on giving shane uh, we have a wide receiver a high level wide receiver transfer dismissed from the team and then of course we'll jump into some hoop coverage and it's it's not pretty ladies and gentlemen that hoops coverage is not pretty so to be frank i wouldn't i wouldn't blame you if you just want to listen to this first half of the podcast because it's going to be a little depressing i feel like in that second half of the podcast so never never good podcasting to say don't listen to what we're going to say but it's just gonna be a little sad so if, if you if you did you know at least be outside it's beautiful outside right now in eugene it's gorgeous out there it's cold but at least like throw the headphones in and go for a walk for your mental health while you listen to the second half of this podcast all yeah. right, let's do the first first things first here. Alik Terry, new offensive line coach for the University of Oregon, former University of Oregon grad assistant in 2019, also worked at University of Hawaii, and most recently, the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I immediately had to hit the Google machine on this guy, Shane. Uh, what are your first impressions, and what do you think about this hire? Yeah, he's not somebody that I particularly remembered all of that well. The name did sound familiar but exactly 
years he was with uh, the Oregon program and exactly what his role was. I was kind of like, that name does sound familiar. Uh, so I kind of had to do the same. And it's interesting, the, the route that he's kind of taken the last few years. It's been kind of one and done stops at, a, at several locations. And he's moved around kind of lateral um, uh, promotions, as you'd say. Uh, like he's he's gone from kind of bigger program to bigger program, but always that same role so i think that him coming here i'm hoping that this is somebody that dan landing has wanted previously and that he's going to give him an an expanded role from what he had and he's able to to really grow here at the university of oregon and become you know that uh that he's able to gain the the role that he's eventually get that eventually wants is i guess how i'm trying to put it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is another guy that uh, Dan Laney went and got from the NFL. He was an assistant coach there for the Minnesota Vikings on their staff. So I like that type of mentality, that type of hire. You know, Lanning seems, I mean, we've talked about it at length. We've talked about it before with Zach here on the podcast about how he has a culture of wanting to advance his coaches. He wants hungry coaches. He wants coaches that do want that next step, that do want to get to the NFL. So I like this. I like this hire a lot. Uh, Miami connections all over the place here. Also, obviously, was here in 2019 with Mario Cristobal. Um, I think this is a good hire. I think it's a really good hire. I'm looking forward to see what he can do with the offensive line because this is a this is a group that has a ton of talent that doesn't need to be you know reworked or anything of that nature. It just needs to really be reloaded. So I'm really excited to see, especially that's something on the spring game that I think I'll be actually able to uh, hone in on a little bit and really watch the, how that offensive line unit really works together Shane you know I, I was talking about this in the group chat I knew that there was something like this Peyton Bowen thing that had happened before and I just couldn't quite place it couldn't figure out you know what it was and just a classic name from 2013 good old Elvis Doomerville do you remember this do you remember this whole saga where he, he was supposed to sign with the Denver Broncos as a free agent, and then uh, the fax machine didn't work Went or got it late. Baltimore, Yeah, something ended up going to Baltimore instead. And actually had a good year for Baltimore. But uh, mm. that's kind of what this Peyton Bowen thing reminded me of. He literally didn't put AM or PM on the paperwork that he sent over to the University of Oregon. The University of Oregon sent the paperwork back, said, please, sir, add a.m. or p.m. We can't do this for you. You have to do this. And that little window cracked things open, and he ended up going to the University of Oklahoma. I'm curious what that conversation was. You know, if it was like, oh, my gosh, this is a sign. You know, maybe Oregon's not the right school. But, I mean, like we said, this is just the story that keeps on giving. Yeah, I'm wondering if he was receiving tongue lashing from said mother or girlfriend <laughs> and paperwork gets sent back and he's like, maybe, maybe I, maybe I made a mistake here. Maybe I undervalued this situation that I'm in. But uh, for me, this story, this, this saga and the fact that, you know, we, we lost out on this great talent because of a, a technicality or a snafu, if you will, that. And this, you know, the story just keep going and just, you know, getting longer and having more ties here to the university. I'm going to be watching Oklahoma games closely this next year or two. And I'm going to be waiting for any sort of bad body language. And I'm just going to be sending out all my duck feelers. <laughs> I feel like Peyton Bowen is destined. It's not rare in this day and age for players to transfer even twice. Absolutely. So the fact that Oregon is always going to be this kind of what if in his life and this uh, 
what do you always talk about the marvel thing the uh multiverse or whatever oh, the multiverse oh oh we got a shane mcu drop what is <laughs> we need to record more early in the morning more frequently i get you all loopy i like it i like it no it's true though there there are so many um you know lines that this could have gone on there's so many potential futures you know that were created during this whole peyton bowen thing and you're right minds change Sometimes things happen in our personal lives that, you know, are a catalyst for, for positive change and need to get out of, you know, the situation that we're in. So I always kind of keep an eye on Oklahoma, mainly just because I don't like Oklahoma just for reasons, but it's, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be watching with a more attentive eye this year also, because mm -hmm. he's going to start for them. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would we're be shocked see him on the field. Yeah. I would be shocked if we don't see him on the field an absolute ton and it's just the wrong. Oh, Peyton. Peyton, it's the wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh, just come home. You want that I green mean, and yellow. Come home. It could be, it could be fairly similar to like, you know, the Justin Flo situation, you know, where it just maybe doesn't work out in the, like immediately. And so you have to find a new home. And, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to put any negative energy out there into his personal life, but not a lot of high school relationships survive college. Shane. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong, sir. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on his play on the field. We'll be keeping a very very close eye on his play on the field. And you mentioned Justin Flo. I mean, is Justin Flo this? We did this wasn't even on the rundown. Is Justin Flo the the kid who transferred from Oregon? Is he the one you're going to watch the most? Is he the one you're going to have the most attentive eye on? Or can you think of another transfer that you might be watching more closely this season? Uh, yeah, I mean that one, because it's in conference, I'd say mm -hmm. like, I will just because I end up watching more PAC 12 than I do, uh, other schools. The other one I would say is, um, Byron Cardwell at Cal, uh, yes. just because I was so high on him coming into this year. Apparently he was really high on himself too. And that, that may have cost <laughs> him, uh, some, some yeah. playing time here. Um, so Absolutely. But yeah, it, down there at Cal, it's going to be an interesting one to see too, because he should get a ton of carries, and he was a workhorse here. You know, this isn't this isn't a kid that transferred from Oregon, but he's going to end up playing for a coach that left Oregon. Also, Jaden Rashada. I'm really, really curious to see if he gets a starting opportunity down there at Arizona State. And I'm also, you know me, I'm I'm very curious what Dillingham's going to do with that program because we've talked about it. That is a sleeping giant. And if he can awaken that and start keeping those kids home, I mean, he's already got some positive momentum rolling with that program. So, all right, good little uh, good little segue. I like that well, topic. Now, hold on, now I'm going to throw you a curveball real quick. Oh, please, would yes. He be, would he be the biggest addition to the Pac-12 via transfer or incoming freshman that you are excited to watch? Or is there another Pac-12 new face that you would be more excited to see? <laughs> Can I, also can I cheat and UCLA? say Dylan Moore? Because <laughs> 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 that's, I mean, I'm just curious what Chip can do with him. And he obviously wants to start. That's, that's what this, I mean, from what I've seen from the little, the tea leaves that I'm reading, he obviously wants a starting job and that's why he decided to go to UCLA. So I'm, I'm really curious about that. Um, what about, uh, DJ, Unga, DJ, yeah. yeah, DJ at Oregon State, obviously, just happening here in our backyard. And I've always been a fan of his. I've always liked his game, even though he wore that awful, awful Clemson orange. And I'm so happy that he's free of Dabo's clutches. 
but then he landed at Oregon State. So it's like I have a, I'll still be rooting for him. You know, I mean, I have a more complicated relationship with the Beavers than a lot of than even you do. You you root for the Beavers a lot more than I do. But it'll be it'll be very entertaining to see what they do with that offense because a power running attack with him, I mean, they, it could be like the Philadelphia Eagles, like supersized, you know, with what they can do with mm-hmm. DJ and what he can do with the it's going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. I feel like they're going to, they might lead the nation in rushing. That's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, okay. Let's jump back over here now. Talk about uh, a, a little bit of an unfortunate situation. Definitely an unfortunate situation. Trey Sean Holden dismissed from the University of Oregon football team very quickly by Dan Lanning. I think that's the one thing I really want to note. And this is something that Zach would note it also just the, the haste with which he acted and did not uh, did not hesitate whatsoever. But uh, multiple charges, including coercion, menacing and unfa- unlawful use of a weapon. Uh, he was um, in custody. I guess he has since been released, but that does not mean charges have been dropped. It's kind of a complicated case. Uh, definitely. Make sure to check out duckswire.usatoday.com for any updates on that story or your local Oregon Twitter beat writer, whoever you follow. But we like to follow Zach Neal, so definitely give him some love also. He's been doing a great job covering this case. This is sad, Shane. This is sad. You never you never want to hear of a young man getting himself in trouble, but I don't know. What's what's your initial impression from the story? I can't think of a good way to like spin this into a conversation, but what's your initial impression from this? Well, I think it's very complicated. And from the little facts that we do know, you know, just some of the charges, those are very vague charges. Um, anybody who's ever been in trouble with the law knows that they it can be, yep. you know, what the actual situation can seem a lot worse based on just how the charges sound, or it could be just as bad. We just, we just really don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but in from all that is he, he could have found himself just in, any situation that we find ourselves in as young men in this world, and especially with a lot of testosterone and, you know, and a lot of bravado, kind of like knocking each yep. other's. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, you know, maybe happen to have a weapon. And in that situation, it's now, you know, uh, an unlawful situation because he had a weapon on him in a situation that maybe some of us had already been in. So it's, I don't really want to throw too much at it. Um, I do think that, Landing moving that swiftly is really just setting a precedent. I don't know if it's because he knows something that we don't. Maybe it, maybe it is, but maybe he knows what the situation is and that it is that heinous. But at the same time, maybe he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to let it be known for all these new guys. There's a lot of new faces always coming in and out of town in these days, and I'm just going to let people know this isn't okay. And my reputation as a young coach is on the line as well. Absolutely. So I'm just going to nip this in the bud and we're just going to move on. It's, uh, <laughs> but it is really unfortunate because we were really excited to see him play. Well, and we wish the best for the kid. You know, hopefully he gets mm-hmm. this these legal issues in order and he's able to land somewhere. I mean, football is, you know, a, a secondary concern right now for him just getting his life back in order after something like this happening. But we do hope that he lands on his feet. Um all right, let's spin this. You know, obviously the the Oregon angle on this now is there's some playing time. There's some playing time available here at that wide receiver position. Uh, you know, you jump on our lads and they still have Treshawn up there as a starting wide receiver, but obviously that's not going to be the case. So we've got players like Chris Hudson, Kyle Casper, Treon Dickey, perhaps getting some some first team love. So of the of those wide receivers, or if there's another name that you want to throw out, who who do you think steps up to fill this this role that he didn't even have a chance to practice 
really. But I mean, he Treshawn was definitely plugged in to be a big time contributor on this offense. I mean, I think with the way that this team is set up, we it's initially going to be an experience over talent um, kind of level uh, where I think Chris Hudson's going to get the edge maybe early. But I mean, we just don't really know. We know how much Dan Landing likes the iron sharpening iron mentality. Uh, so I would lean Hudson just because of what we've seen from him already. And we know that every game this year is going to be a huge game just because this is a as close to a championship or bust situation as we've had in a long time with yep. Bo Nix coming back. So I, I would lean that way, but I mean, there's a lot of talent there. We just haven't really seen it from a lot of these guys. So I hope that, you know, early in the season where we're able to see a little bit more depth. I think it's cool this year that we're not playing Georgia week one so that we can kind of <laughs> maybe see some of these guys on the field before it's not like a huge situation. So we can all feel good about that. We're playing this Portland state's the first game, right? So, so we'll be able to see each of these guys probably play pretty early in the season. So I'm excited about that because it's just really hard to say. Like it, we can we can have a lot of good things to say about all of these guys if we want to go down one by one. I mean, Casper, he's like probably one of the favorites of Duck Twitter. Yeah, we are a hundred and uh, yeah, we are one hundred ninety-seven days away from <clears throat> kickoff at Autzen Stadium versus Portland State, and then uh, September 9th, the Ducks head to Texas Tech to take on the Red Raiders. Uh, I'm surprised. I kind of, I, I thought Josh Delgado was going to be a name you might throw at me there. So I was, I was kind of setting that up, but I, I think again, just him and him and Hudson, those talented juniors, they know this system. They're close with Bo. I think you're right that at first it's going to be those guys that get the opportunity, but if there's, you know, I can only imagine what Dickie's going to start doing at practice. I can only imagine, I mean, they might start to go more tight end looks. There's so much talent at that tight end position. They might go just multiple tight ends on a more consistent basis also. So lots of options for this duck team moving forward uh, with the unfortunate loss of Trey Sean Holden. All right. Anything else news related or football related you want to touch on here before we jump on over to the round ball? You got me feeling bad about kind of bailing on Josh Delgado, <laughs> but it's just, I, I was just thinking about it while you were talking there. It's, it is kind of crazy that that era of like Micah Pittman and Josh Delgado were like some of the highest rated recruits at wide receiver in program history and how excited we were about them. And I don't want to throw any shade at Josh. Josh, I'll root for you forever. If you're listening to this, you were one of my favorite players when we started doing this. But it's crazy, like, the level of wide receiver recruit that's coming into this school yeah. now that, like, Josh is good, but it's, he's going to struggle to find the field. He's, yeah, he's going to have to. I mean, we've got Jurion Dickey, Ashton Kozar coming in. Again, we've talked about the talent at the the tight end position with Kenyon Sadiq, one of our favorite players, you know, coming into this position. Uh, you've already got Terrence Ferguson and Patrick Herbert there also, so just how much those guys are going to play. So it's... I'm I'm really that's one thing that we can really pay attention to at the spring game. I think also just who's getting those reps. Who does Bo feel comfortable with? Who who is Dan Laning gonna roll out there and that he trusts to to execute this offensive vision that he has? So all right, let's do it, man. Let's jump on over here. Uh, like we said, sad part of the conversation incoming. Make sure you're outside. Make sure you're like working out. Make sure you're doing something for your self-care while you listen to this next part of the podcast. Cause ladies and gentlemen, it's not pretty. It is not pretty. It's not um, all bad. It's not. All I mean, bad. it's pretty bad, man. Uh, but well, yeah, I hear you. you. 
I'll be the I'll be the good cop. You can be bad cop okay, in this perfect. situation. Perfect. All right, men's hoops 15 Normally and 12. We're yeah, I know. 15 and 12 <laughs> overall, 9 and 7 in conference, 6th place, uh just outside of the field of 64 in the latest bracketology. Really really tough loss to Washington 71 to 72 just a kind of a classic loss for this Oregon team in the way in the fashion that it went down. And then uh, the, the previous week, because we were off a week there while I was in Vegas, uh, they did get a big win against USC. Not quite enough points in that game for me personally, but, you know, that's just me. And then a loss to UCLA where they were just simply outclassed down the stretch. So, Shane, I'm just going to kind of throw it to you wherever you want to go in those three games. Let, let's talk about this Oregon Hoop squad. Well, okay. I just want to talk about how different some of these wins and losses, though, have been from earlier in the season. Where okay. that USC okay. game, yes, low scoring game, offense wasn't great, but neither was USC's. And the game was kind of played that way, where it was going to be a slow knockdown drag out game. And they were able to get it done inside and they really started feeding the ball to the paint, something that I've been screaming about pretty much all season because this team's best players by far their post players yep and we've also learned in the past few weeks that this team is a better starting five with uh quincy gary on the bench yes and i think it's it's the first time all year that dana altman has said all right here is my true starting rotation that i can feel good about it still has rivaldo soros in it we all know how I feel about that, but apparently Dana feels good enough about it. And I mean, this is the best Spartan five and he is a part of it. Uh, I'd like to see it kind of morphed a little bit, but that's a story for another day. You want Rigsby in there, don't you? I do. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> he just plays so hard. Anyways, I also like Luke War. I, I think that he's having a pretty underrated season. Yeah. I also think that going with the three guard lineup with the two bigs could be more beneficial in a lot of ways, but Matchup wise, Soros does help you because he fills a lot of gaps. He's got those Matisse Thibel arms. Absolutely. That's a great the UC- comp. The UCLA game, they were playing with UCLA, a good team, for yep. three quarters of that game. Yeah. It got away from them at the end, and UCLA kind of made it look bad. They were struggling to stay with them, but UCLA is ranked seventh in the country. And we're talking about Oregon now being a team that's going to be on the outside of the tournament. So, you know. The, the fact that they can play with any team in the Pac-12 does give us an outside shot of actually making the tournament by via winning three games in, in Las Vegas in a couple yep. of weeks. Well, for 35 minutes, like you said, they played with UCLA. They, it was back and forth. It was a punching match. And then that last five minutes, UCLA just started throwing haymakers. And Oregon couldn't answer. They couldn't, they couldn't find a bucket. They just could not answer. And this Washington game... It felt it didn't feel similar, but the last five, I should say this, the last five minutes of that game felt similar to the last five minutes of the UCLA game where the offense just bogs down. Man, Will Rich, I, I want to defend you all the time, man. Like I, you're one of my I love watching you here at the University of Oregon. I've rooted for you. I've been so high on your potential and what you can do here at the University of Oregon. But my goodness, just just no feel just didn't look connected to the offense out there. And then trying to take the last possession and have that opportunity to go to the rack. I, I have questions. I have, I have, I have some questions. And then that whole game was weird with the 45 minute delay. Uh, we got home and I was like, though, this game's still on like, Oh, I get to watch this. This is great. You know? So I actually got to watch some Oregon hoops, which I haven't had a chance really to do very much lately. So 
it was it was very disappointing to see the lack of offensive cohesion and then to see the one player that you can't i mean what was that kid's name for washington here let me pull it up real uh, quick Manf- manfield yeah the there, there's one the kid hurting you there's there's one kid out there hurting you and you can't just soars when you close out you don't hop like how mm-hmm. you're taught that from when you're like 8 years old choppy steps choppy steps like oh that whole possession where he got that three off was just really hard to watch so i i i share your optimism and this team's potential you know in a vegas run and i i don't know if i believe they'll do it but i think there's definitely a potentiality there's there's a multiverse out there where this oregon team definitely does win the pac-12 tournament yeah and i mean that it, that whole Washington game was so strange too, just because there was some b- bizarre coaching moves. Um, Dana Altman going with his own defense down the stretch in the two, three, and just kind of mimicking what Washington was doing. Washington didn't have a lot of like great outside shooting and they were hurting us inside, but then that that's when that guard just starts going nuclear. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it was so weird to watch too. It was like this, I was like, how is this happening? Like we have all this length outside and he's just somehow just like running around and just scoring. But it's like, oh, maybe because they like play against the fucking two, three zone every day at practice that he would know the best little tricks to just like kind of because he would go kind of sideline to sideline with his dribble and then kind of come out of it and then have his little step back jumper. And it was always catching the zone moving, shifting across the court. Yeah. And it was just like, go put Soros on this guy one-on-one. Put Will Rich, how about you exert all your energy on defense and yeah. you're not really doing anything on offense? He, he did have some nice passes in that game. And I like, it, he seems kind of like the easy scapegoat because he didn't score a point. But then the possession in which um, Washington takes the lead in overtime, Dana switches to a 1-3-1. First look I've seen of that in weeks in a few weeks, I liked that move because when it, I mean, it's just it's throwing something different, and it actually worked for two possessions, and then they went back to man and they got cooked again. Well, but no, it was the one three one where they gave up the oop on the baseline. It was when he put Biddle well, that, out of top. That's true. That's true. And then yeah. Dante gets sucked out to the three point line, and you got two guards in the paint, and it's like, how is this? I mean, there wasn't a single soul. I'll post it on the Twitter feed in just right in just a second. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I want to know who that weak side guard was because that weak side guard, your responsibility is the dunker. You've got to go hit that guard out there and make contact and not allow because you're right. As a guard, it's hard to stop that backside oop situation. But the way you do that is you hit them at the three point line and you don't even let them get that running start. Yeah, it'll, yeah, I'd be, it'll I want to know who that Twitter was. Feed here in, a, <laughs> in a, just a second. Um, I do have that video up right now. Great podcasting on our part. <laughs> it yeah, looks like one it is Cousinard. <laughs> that makes sense. And yeah, it's Cousinard, and then Soares is on like the the strong side, so there's not really much he can do because he's got to no, be up in the corner. He's got to go hit him. You got to go hit them on the three-point line. And and you've got to know when you switch to a new defense like that, every team with a good point guard, you have a quick hitter that you go to right away. You have what I used to call like an explosive play where, okay, you switch. We're going to try to explode on you right away and get you to switch right out of it and show you that you can't run this defense. So that's what they did, and it worked. Yeah, I mean, I just switching from like a 2-3 to a 1-3-1 to try and eliminate a guard that's just 
going, like I said, just completely eviscerating your team. I yeah. thought they just should have manned up, double dead ball out of his hand. The other guard that, like, highest-rated recruit kid, uh, the All-American, he had four fouls, so he was kind of playing with his tail between his legs. It was yep. just – there was a lot of things that didn't go their way, but I thought that this was one time in the past – like from his pretty much his entire career where I was like, Dana, what are you doing? Like, Throwing you got to give this, kind, yeah. this team some direction because they haven't won enough games down the stretch to kind of instinctively know how to do this. And they rely a lot of these young guys too rely so much on Dana, so much control on these games that they're kind of afraid to go rogue. Mm-hmm. And so I just saw that overtime just being kind of a mishandled overtime. Well, I have a, I have a theory about overtime at the high school and college level. I would say a very un unprecise number here, but seventy nine percent of the time, the team that scores first. And those overtime periods ends up winning. Well, especially Oregon high school and their shot clock. But um, yeah, just any. I, yeah, I, I mean, I the games that. I've seen here in Oregon, the high school games I've seen in Arizona, all the college games I've watched, just all the all the data that I've got, you know, compiled back here. I feel it's about 80 percent of the time. If you score first in an overtime, it's kind of like a te- I mean, it becomes almost like tennis there in overtime. Where you've got to you've got to hold your serve. That's you know, a great if you analogy. Can, if you can break their serve, you know what I mean. Then you can kind of get up by a point or two, and then you can kind of strangle out the game. But I feel like, yeah, most of the time, whoever scores first, and he hit that. Was it he hit a three right away at the start of overtime? Right, that Menafield kid. He was yeah, that he was Stanford, flying yeah. around. He was fun to watch. You know, it's always hard he watching a the, husky and he had the smallest ankles I've seen on a college <laughs> basketball player since Chris Boucher. <laughs> I was gonna say Chris Boucher. <laughs> crazy hey, do, a, uh, do a side by side with those two it's crazy that's uh that's nba toronto raptor legend chris boucher i'm saying you, no, no small ankles the better you, you are. <laughs> i don't know what it is it's strange you're not wrong you're not wrong. all right this oregon team has an opportunity to bounce back uh at wazoo at on sunday at 4 p.m that, that it's a must. I mean, every game for the rest of the season now for this Oregon team is a must win game. If you still have tournament aspirations, because there is an opportunity for them to fight back in just from a pure, pure bracketology perspective, but they need some help. They definitely need some help and they're going to have to make a run at the tournament no matter what. And if they want to seal their fate, the best way to do that is just to win the whole damn thing. All right, Shane, let's jump over to the women's side. 14 and 11 overall, 5 and 9 in conference. They are in eighth place. Currently, one of the last four buys in the latest edition of Bracketology. And that's with a five game losing streak. I mean, I, I went to the Utah game. That was just an absolutely brutal loss. Uh, these last two losses to the California, the LA schools, USC and UCLA. Uh, 10 points and five points respectively, both ranked teams. So it's not, they're not terrible losses, but what is, what is the state of this women's team right now? I mean, it's, it's so tricky to say, because if you look at something like the RPI rankings, like Oregon's still doing pretty well, just because every game in this conference schedule it's is a against battle, a juggernaut. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, losing to Colorado, you know, it's, there's a lot to be made of that loss. It was the first time and, you know, for like college lifetimes, you know, or whatever, however you want to put it. But if you really, but if you look at what Colorado's done this year, that's a quality program. And the ranks 21st in the country right now. That's a damn good team. Exactly. And I mean, and that was a hard fought game as well. That game against Utah that you went to, I mean, 
buckets on buckets on buckets on buckets. That was one of the most fun games. I was it so was, jealous that you got to be at that it game. It was so good, man. Almost 200 points scored in that game. I When I do uh, the film breakdowns and I'm like pulling highlights and putting them on the Twitter page, normally I delete the games right after because it's a lot of like work and I just want to get that stuff out of my life off my DVR. <laughs> that one's still on there. I'm like, I might watch that game again. Like that yeah. was a lot of fun. Uh, India Rogers, the season she's having, uh, I posted it's, it's very reminiscent to me of that that kind of Joe Young run where it's like they're not winning oh, a lot of games. But wow, God, is she just killing it? Well, and a struggling she... teammate to go with it. That's a great comparison, Shane. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a great comparison. It, that I mean, that Stanford loss was they just it looked like they just gave everything they had in that game, and to come up eight points short against the number three team in the country almost just seemed to put them at an energy deficit. And then the same thing kind of happened against Utah. Now they're number four team in the country where you just give everything you have against a really good opponent and come up just short. And I think, you know, I've talked about this before where when you lose one game, it can, you can, that same game can beat you multiple times. And I feel like those two games, that game against Stanford and the game against Utah have almost resulted now in these other three losses as well. Well, and I'm glad you said that because I thought the game against USC where they, you know, or in this absolute, you know, like boxing match with them, where it was one of the most physical Pac-12 games I've seen all year. Uh, they got off to a really hot start, and then the game just really slowed down in USC's favor. Uh, I can't remember her name, but that kind of bigger combo guard that they have just, I mean, played met the game masterfully and uh, absolutely just did everything that Oregon had a weakness. She just exposed all of it. But then you carry that in that UCLA game, and I thought that uh, Philippine Shea and Grace Van Sluten came out just incredibly flat. And if they didn't, and they were able to kind of have the you know, more typical um, energy that they, they've shown all season, especially Philippine Shea on the offensive glass, I think Oregon could have got out to a, a pretty big lead, and at least that would have been a harder-fought game down the stretch. But, I mean, to say that you know they both of those players looked tired in that game – I think I would have been in a hospital bed after that game. So I, well, he's I playing don't fault seven them players. at all. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. playing seven players. This team has just hit a wall. I mean, okay, he's technically playing nine, but Hosendub and Hanson. Yeah, I mean, Hanson and Hosendub played a combined eleven minutes, so it's mm-hmm. it's barely nine players. And so he's just throwing. He's he's doing the same thing Dana's did. He's throwing shit against the wall and just seeing what can stick and help this team get wins. But you're playing all five of your starters 30 plus minutes and you've got one player that's already come out publicly and said that they're having some, some medical and some health issues. It's that's tough, man. That's tough. But what else is he supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've seen like that both of these teams are kind of in a weird spot where they have a lot of these like win now players and they have a lot of these build for the future players. And it's kind of a hard to balance those things you're seeing it like in golden state right now in the nba level if that helps anybody Perfect. kind of kind of compare it where it's like you don't really know what to do with the rotations do you give khalil Ware on the guy's side a little bit more run because it can kind of make sense for the years coming up or is it at the quincy gary spot because you want to win games now and you want to play for this season on the women's side kennedy basham and you know then Hosendove and some of these other players it's like do we kind of give some of these these minutes to players that are going to build for the future. But I, the difference I think with the men's and women's team is because of the top heavy nature of women's basketball, I think that they have a much, much, much higher chance of actually just making the tournament uh, as in just being voted in Mm -hmm. where the, the, on the men's side, it is such a clusterfuck that we got 
like UNC, Duke, Memphis, like these big, big name programs. Kentucky that are also Mm. on the outside looking in. And I think they're going to get the nod just because they have a little bit of better record than Oregon. I think Oregon's really going to have to carry momentum into Vegas and win that tournament. You know, you brought up where getting more playing time, Dana. I just I have one thing I need from you from before this season ends. I need the monster lineup. I need the the tall fur lineup out there. Just once, just once, I need it. I need Dante at the five. I need Biddle at the four. I need Ware at the three. I need JC at the two, and I need Will Rich at the one. I just I want to see that lineup just once, just for five minutes, just just see what happens. I think that'd be really fun. Okay, we've jumped back over to the men's side, but yeah, I I think Kelly is in a better position right now than Dana because agree. you can look at. I mean this this Oregon the women's team is basically what would have happened to the men if they never got healthy. And the fact that the men got healthy and are still struggling to win games is just a testament to actually where this women's team is that, I mean, they're losing games by 10. They're losing games by five. They're on a five game losing streak. You can't deny that, but they fight and they battle and they're fun to watch and they scrap and they claw. And they, I mean, they're biting, they they're biting kneecaps out there, Shane, they're biting kneecaps. They're doing mm-hmm. anything and everything they can to try to win a game. And you, and some level as a fan, that's a, that's a more enjoyable watch and it's going to be, it's going to bode better for, for the future for Kelly. I mean, Dana's got the army coming in next year. I mean, he's got, I mean, what would you even, what would that be like? He's got the secret service basically coming to join the program next year. <laughs> I mean, Kelly's got some recruits coming in, but he's got a lot of, I mean, chance gray is going to be special. Sluton is going to be really, really good. So, I mean, this women's team, like you said, they're both programs are trying to kind of split the baby. But I think the the women's side is still in a better position because so many of those those young recruits are here right now. You know, Oregon, a lot of those are unknown quantities. For the men, it's unknown quantities as opposed to the women. We, we know what they are. Well, and I mean, just the, the quality of opponent. I mean, the Pac-12 is a great basketball conference on both sides this year. But this the Pac, the women's side is is the premier conference. I think it. It top to bottom has a little bit better than the SEC. I do love – I think the SEC is great women's basketball, and uh, South Carolina, I think, is head and shoulders the best team this year. But, I mean, imagine if you think you – know, you're going to say Stanford? I think Stanford State. is is with them. I don't mm-hmm. – I wouldn't say – I might say head above. I don't know if I'd give you head and shoulders. <laughs> Cameron I, Brink's tall, Shane. Cameron Brink's very tall. I'll say this. I think <laughs> that there is a chance that Stanford can beat South Carolina – but if you play a seven game series, I'd say South Carolina would win that series four one. You know what game I've got circled? February twenty fifth at Utah. Number three Stanford plays number four Utah. That's, That's gonna, gonna be, be a fun game because this Utah game, or this Utah team is nothing to freaking shake a stick at either. Mm-hmm. Putting up 70, 80, 90 points a game on people. So that's going to be really, really interesting to but, watch. But I think you're right. I think the SEC, I mean, with with what South Carolina is doing, they're just so impressive. LSU is really, really good. But South Carolina beat the brakes off LSU. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but they're still having a wonderful season. I mean, that's just yeah. Don Staley being like, oh, that's so cute. LSU, that's so adorable. That's so adorable. Boy, and <laughs> you know she like extra wanted to flex on, what's her name, Kim, Kim Mulkey. You yeah. know what I mean? That's like oh, the yeah. biggest – juxtaposition of human beings with the same mm-hmm. job 
Um, but back yeah. to my like, let me finish the point real quick. Uh, yes. If Oregon men's basketball was in the Big East, is like the the, the comp of like where like this women's team is. Where if they were playing a ranked opponent every single night, I think we'd be having a much different conversation. So as much True. as we want to compare the two programs, it is a little bit of apples and oranges. When I mean. It's like down, it's all the way down the board. There's only like two teams on the women's side that I don't think are like could win the conference tournament. Yeah. I mean, yeah, once you get past, well, Oregon, basically on the men's side, it falls off pretty substantially. So, I mean, I actually shouldn't say that because Stanford gave UCLA everything they wanted and more last night, too. That Stanford team is really, really feisty right now. All right, Shane, anything to add on this Oregon women's basketball team before we move on to last take? Mm, nope, nope, nope. Just hope they uh, get healthy in the next month here more than anything. I like it. I like it. All right, last take. Shane, what do you got for us today? Uh, you know, I didn't really have much here. I just want to piggyback this over from the women's team real quick, though. Uh, Kennedy Basham, a little bit of playing time. Like what I saw. Uh, I had some things that I was questioning early in the year. And uh, smooth jumper and just kind of looked a little bit more like she belonged out there. Played some good ISO post defense. And uh, it was good to see her kind of come off and find a little bit of a, a, a role, carve her a little before we get too deep in this uh, freshman season for her. I like it. I like it. Uh, we're going to go a different route, Shane. It's, it's the end of the podcast. It's that time I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, I've got I've got two things. I've got two things. Vegas. <laughs> Properly rated. Vegas isn't underrated. It's not overrated. <clears throat> I think Vegas is one of those rare situations that it's just properly rated. It's a good time. It's you kind of have to look at your money like monopoly money. As soon as you get there, it's all fake. Just it doesn't really, you know, seven dollar chapstick, you know, eight dollar coffees. It's kind of the norm, but it's but properly rated. Vegas properly rated. <clears throat> and then my second thing, I went and saw Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp and Quantum Mania last night. <clears throat> and there's this whole oh, Marvel saturation. Marvel's bad, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I would give I would give what I saw last night a seven out of ten. <clears throat> very, very solid seven out of ten. And that's they're fucking comic book movies, ladies and gentlemen. Like I want, I want prestige TV. I want prestige movies. I want, you know, incredible cinema. But sometimes I also just want something to eat a giant thing of popcorn to and drink a giant icy and be engaged and enjoy a, you know, a two and a half hour movie. Did it have its problems? Absolutely, it had its problems. Was it still a fun movie to watch? Absolutely. Did Jonathan Majors and Paul Rudd crush it? Absolutely. So just properly, again, Vegas, properly rated. Let's just let's just calibrate our expectations and calibrate our our um our judgment on some of these properties just a little bit differently. I just feel like so. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's what I got for you. Are you Shane. ready to have this conversation now? <laughs> let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so John the Major is like my favorite actor. I don't know how much of his stuff you've seen, um, but he's awesome. I will see that movie. I'm not like 100% anti-Marvel movies. There, I've seen some of them. There's some that I've liked more than others. 
Uh, I just saw Wakanda Forever. I thought that was a fine movie. Um, <laughs> I don't like it, it's hard a lot when the movie is so centered around CGI and yep. so many things look video game like. I just I have a hard time paying attention for some reason. It just says something weird to my Ooh, brain. I got bad but, news uh, for you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I saw the trailer. <laughs> I'm not like I'm not stoked to see it. Like, trust me. Like, I saw basically I saw Wakanda Forever because Ryan Coogler directed it. No other yep. reason. I will yep. support all of the work he's done ever since I saw mm-hmm. Fruitville. But uh, my beef with the Marvel movies is that if you look at the highest grossing films ever made, it's just Marvel, 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 and then sprinkle in your Pixar stuff, and then you get your Star Wars, which I guess is also like Disney, Pixar, same family umbrella. It is, they're putting out so many fucking movies and it's all anybody sees that eventually movie theaters are going to just be Marvel owned and they're just going to show Marvel things. And then there's yeah. going to be independent theaters where we have to go to see like, no offense, but like real movies, you know what I mean? That Prestige are like movies. Not, yeah. Not, right. And they're not built with like an algorithm and shit like the Fast and the Furious movies and all these other things that are like, of course they're going to keep making them and they're going to sell a ton of tickets because they're just focus grouping it. And they're just using everything to just build movies like four dudes and then like four romance and not like integrating to these ideas. So like, that's my beef with this whole Marvel star Wars Pixar Pixar thing is that it's that same. I'm just regurgitating Scorsese stuff. If anybody like really wants to Google his thoughts on it. And it's just, it's getting to a point now where like they're saying that Top Gun helped save like the cinematic industry. And it's like, that sucks too, because that's just another fucking like action flick. And it's people aren't going to see, like, I just saw a uh, triangle of sadness. So fucking awesome. And it's not making any money and it's totally would be such a cool theater watch. There's this disgusting, like throwing up shitting like scene that takes like 25 minutes and it'd be so fun in like this jackass way to watch it with a room full of people. And it just sucks that ev- any movie that anybody goes to see that's worth spending the money on is just the next Marvel thing. And you have to see them all or none of them truly make sense because they've like monopolized movies to where like they're all tied together. I guess my 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 pushback on that is <clears throat> isn't I mean, that's not Marvel's fault per se no. this is more of a, a movie theater problem this is more of a getting people to actually go to the movie theater problem and i don't did you listen to that latest bill simmons podcast where they talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. and I, I i mean i think it's bigger than that i think it's a people problem well that too I, yes yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's like yeah I mean, people don't want to be around people. Even last night in the movie theater, this lady next to me had her phone out for like 30 minutes. And I mm -hmm. took every Shane, when I tell you took everything in me to not lean over and be like, put your fucking phone away. It's, it's irritating. I I would have paid $30 to sit on my couch and watch that movie here in the comfort of my own home last night. If I would have had, I would have had to go to a movie theater if I didn't have to. No way. I'm, you know, and I'm talking about movie theater prices and stuff, but I mean, it is, it is like the lifeblood of the industry and it it dictates which movies are made and which, which directors, which producers Mm -hmm. are given money. So like, it is part of it. That being said, I bought an 82 inch TV, so I never have to go to the theater. (laughs) And that's the other part of it too. You outdid me, man. I got to go get a bigger one. If you got 82, I got to, I don't know. I got to. Dude, I don't know if I would do it again though. Like it, I had to, it took like three different people to figure out how to hang it just because it weighed so much. And like, Oh, I bet. 
And so it's six feet long. Yeah. I know. And so the studs on the wall, because you had to put the thing into the studs or fucking rip right out of the wall. Yeah. Is because it weighs like a hundred pounds, is like way on the left. And then so we had a door there and it would open right into the TV. So then we had to like put a two by four bolted into the studs and then put that into the two by dude. It was. It it's was a project. Such a hassle. Yeah. Oh, I hear you, man. Oh my gosh. But hey, you're right. And I think, I mean, here in Eugene, we're spoiled because we have like the Bijou Metro. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been to the Bijou Metro yet, please go. Please, I think it's I mean, just called the Metro now. But yeah, is it now I mean, just the Metro? Yeah, the yeah, Bijou sold their. Um, I know the guy that that or shouldn't say I know an acquaintance of mine owns and runs that place and he he loves movies he mm-hmm. he loves everything he's you and him should get coffee it would be that'd be hilarious to watch support support those places because they're trying i mean they they show the marvel stuff but they also have the more niche more you know again more prestige tv and more prestige movies that they put out there and they're trying different things too they do throwback nights i saw like teenage mutant ninja turtles there like 5 or 6 years ago um, they're, they're doing it the right way. So it's our job as consumers to go support those types of places to keep them going. I mean, I'm, I'm part of the problem last night. I went to Regal, you know, I just went and saw it on the big mm-hmm. massive IMAX screen because it was, but I did, um, the Batman was one that I saw there at the Metro and they do have a big screen now. I mean, they've, they've upgraded it. It's, it's a legit movie theater in there and it's, it's a really great experience, huge chairs. I mean, they're, they're really doing it mm-hmm. right. So I think that's the future of movie theaters more, high end it's tickets are going to go up you know that kind of a thing so it's i hear what you're saying i think like we've talked about though that it's it's more of a people problem than anything else but the, that's a good conversation um i'm really interested especially the next two years to see how this all progresses because marvel's talked about how they're scaling back you know, they're, they're still going to be releasing a ton of content, but not nearly as much on like their streaming platforms and things of that nature. There's not a lot of great other movies coming down the pipeline right now. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked for Creed three. I know you're stoked for Creed three, but I mean, mm-hmm. what other movie coming out in the next six to eight months are you excited about? Well, uh, Christopher Nolan's got a new one coming out. Um, oh, that one. Uh, Oppenheimer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that, that you're big. right. That, you're uh, right. Like, That's a good one. That Babylon, like I wish would was kind of a bigger that just came out. I wish that was kind of a bigger deal right now. And like that's you know, like uh what's his name? The guy who did like Whiplash and La La Land, like a fucking awesome director who's already made critically acclaimed awesome, awesome, awesome films that is putting out like this is like his fucking big moment, like finally getting the big budget and the studios like make the movie you want. And it's got Margot Robbie and fucking big stars. And it's like an afterthought to fucking Ant-Man. It's like, that's my yeah. beef. And it's, <laughs> it's Marvel's fault. And it's not Marvel fans fault. But then mm-hmm. when I hear like that, the Marvel movies are better. Like, when I hear like the argument, like kind of against the other movies that, it, because everything, if you want to be pro, like I'm like trying to be pro prestige movies. Right. And it just, Oh, you've got to be anti something, the thing. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's the problem with all of this is we're not just like tribalism. <laughs> so few of us can be like, like I watched Wakanda forever. And like, right when it was done, I was like, that was cool. Like that was like being at like a, almost like an amusement park or something, that kind of feeling of kind of like a rush. Most of the movie where it wasn't Mm -hmm. like, 
oh man, like I thought that was such a good movie. Like it was a fun experience. And I think that those two things can be different and enjoyed separately. We just can't have them consume each other is totally. my problem. Totally. Well, and that's where you and I differ so much because I mean, again, I'm I'm an MCU stan. I've seen every single movie multiple times. I'm a I'm a massive geek when it comes to this kind of stuff. And Mark Wakanda Forever had me like bawling my eyes out in the first like five minutes because of like the Chadwick of it all and everything well, else. Well, that <clears throat> thing they did in the start I thought was really classy and cool because I was wondering how they were gonna handle that. Yeah, and I was like and how they did him like within the like uh little Marvel like logo thing. Yeah, it was a really cool. And then it kind of then I was like, oh, shit, like that was even kind of like separate from the movie almost in some way. Mm -hmm. And no, I thought that was a like cool really, kind of really handling. Well. Yeah. 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 I'm not. Yeah, oh, fuck it. They're good at making movies, man. I like you know, <laughs> fucking pumping them out. Like, I'll give them that. But like, it just seems uh... like with every resource in the world, too, it's like that. that's what it is. You're watching like what a movie is with the newest technology, like every two months, like with yeah. every resource and every mm -hmm. dollar possible to make a movie. And we're kind of just seeing the progression of technology within these like storybook stories. Yeah. But there's also been like, did you see Banshees of Insurman? Mm -mm. Like there's been like a lot of really good movies that are coming out at the same time. And like, they are really trying to like, you know, throw their, their hat in the ring as far as like making good films and these big films. But it's 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 a great conversation you know what i mean but it also sucks that it has to be this way you know okay we can we can wrap it up here but everything we're talking about so miga my partner younger than i am and there's a lot of movies that she hasn't seen so i get the the opportunity to do it to show her a lot of movies for the first time we had the joy shane of watching a little little classic called nacho libre the other night we're not going to get movies. We're not going to get movies like that. You know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. And I think that's a good way to kind of, you know, put a, bu a bubble on this whole conversation is those are the types of movies that we're not going to get anymore. And I love Nacho Libre. Nacho Libre is a hilarious sports movie. It is fantastic. The orphans chips. You can't steal the orphans chips. So if you, I mean, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Nacho Libre yet, please, please, please go watch that. But those are the types of things that we're not going to get anymore. And that is unfortunate. You know, unless it's like straight to a streaming service or less the, you know, Jack Black would basically have to be the executive producer. I think he might have actually been the, but basically oh, be the money behind the project like that to actually put something together. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to the next five years, man. I mean, we'll see what movie theaters look like for sure. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, any of those, like, you know, especially like independent comedies, like the Gary Sanders, like Will Ferrell stuff, like yes. for, for sure, not getting those anymore. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I mean, we'll get more of his, but we won't get another version of that coming down the pike. Like I mean, the we're not going to get the stranger than fiction. Will Ferrell, you know, we're going to get, mm -hmm. you know, every every other kind. So. Or even right, like man, yeah. the Casa de Mi Padre. You ever see that shit when we learn Spanish <laughs> no, for it? I didn't oh, see that, dude, no. it's so good. <laughs> well, I got to make a list. I got to make a list of Shane's recommendations and start putting that together. But all right man i think we've we've reached the end here mom thank you for listening appreciate it um as always take care of your chicken take care of your mentals we appreciate you we love you we out Peace. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.